Welcome to the new episode of Dakota Boys Talk Movies. And on this special retrosode, there you go, retrosode, we're going to go back to a simpler time, to the to Christmas 2001. What was that a simpler time because the war on terror was just kind of getting started? I I think you could argue this is the movie we really needed at that point. Yeah. Because of 9/11 still being so fresh. But we're going to be talking about, believe it or not, it's been 20 years it's... since the Fellowship of the Ring hit theaters. Well, yeah. this year. <laughs> not exactly when you're listening to this, maybe. Yeah, we may have jumped the gun a few months, but, uh, you know, either we get it now or we don't get it later. Yeah, we thought of it now, so we're doing it, so deal with it. Oh, <laughs> uh, You know, it's it's funny, because when I think back at this movie... The only, the first thing that comes to mind, Burger King commercials. Yeah, Burger King commercials, and uh, uh, they had that, they had that tagline for this movie. When I saw the trailer, the trailer was really weird because it didn't really show, any, it showed like real flashes, and it's like, one ring to rule them all. If you watch the classic Honest trailers, this was still doing those types of voiceover work. And then at the end, it was like, uh, prepare for adventure. It was something with like I can't remember the tagline. It was something really, like I don't know, kind of worked. And then it had it said the Lord of the Rings, and it was kind of in the old school Lord of the Rings font because they hadn't quite decided on their font yet. I don't think. And then it showed the Fellowship coming over the mountainside in that classic <laughs> shot where they're all walking by. And as it did, it said Fellowship of the Ring, Christmas two thousand one, the two towers. Christmas 2002 it kind of like was it was kind of like this building of hype trailer and it was like I remember seeing that in the theaters I don't remember what movie I was at but I remember that trailer just being like wait what is this because I like I don't Dakota where where were you at with Lord of the Rings before these movies like I had seen the Rankin Bass animated Hobbit movie and I had seen the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, that was really the first one and a half books because he never got to finish it. Yeah, um, I had I had seen both of those. Well, part of The Hobbit, but uh, not really much else than that. And I was well aware that they were books. Yeah, I knew they were books too. Had you read the books at this point, I guess? Uh, no, I had kind of, I was kind of aware of the, the plot for The Hobbit. And that's only because someone was like, Man, this book's crazy. It's like <laughs> taking on giant spiders and just a dragon and <laughs> just it's 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 from the point of view of these dwarves and Yeah, didn't like, even call them hobbits. I was like, Are there, well, there are no people in this story? I'm not interested. No. <laughs> oh, young Dakota, you foolish fool. You foolish fool. Fool of a took. Uh yeah, um, yeah, like so. So my knowledge is really just from those two animated things, knowing that it was a book series. But it wasn't until after Fellowship of the Ring that I ended up reading the trilogy before the next movie came out because I got hooked and went to it three times in theaters. <laughs> yeah. Um, good lord, I saw this and I was that first. What is it, the first six minutes of it are just a feast for the eyes like cinematically it's just that's what's amazing is like the prologue of this movie has better special effects and just is a cooler story than all of the next two matrix sequels that came out a few years later <laughs> and those had huge budgets <laughs> And because this is what this is what I always think of, you know, in those when they're showing Sauron and he's like swiping his sword and knocking back like fifty guys at a time. You mean that mace? I think that's what it's supposed to be. Oh yeah, it's like a mace, I guess. And there's guys, elves and men just flying. And then Neo fought a bunch of Agent uh, Smiths a few years later, <laughs> and it looked worse. <laughs> and I'm like, man, Lord of the Rings already did this, and it was way cooler. Oh, but I, I mean, obviously, the biggest thing this movie did was it united people who already loved fantasy and people who 
I feel like this is a a fantasy that anybody can be okay with. You know, it isn't like it isn't so Dungeons and Dragons nerdy, where it's like, oh, I don't, you know, it has all these like. There's a lot of crazy worlds and there's a lot of crazy crazy creatures, but I think it's easier for people to come in and feel relatable to some someone or fall into the story a little easier. Yeah, I think uh, the fact that uh, well. It's set in like a fantasy realm, but it's not too far out there. There's not like, there's no one really riding around on dragons, and there's not like you go down well, to the pond and. I mean, you could argue the ring wraiths <laughs> rode some dragons, kind of things. Oh. Fell fell beasts. Yeah, but there's not like unicorns down by the river, and it's like, it's not like if you you wound yourself, or you just cry and let the tears fall on the wound. The wound heals, and it's yeah. Uh, it felt more grounded. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, and this is hard because it's like, what fantasy movies really kind of came before without including Star Wars? It's like you have... Excalibur? Conan the Barbarian and Excalibur and... There was that Dungeon... Willow. Yeah, Willow. Time Bandits? (laughs) Does that kind of... But there was there was labyrinth. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, good lord! Why'd you have to bring that nightmare up? Well, I mean, yeah, that was what we had. <laughs> yeah, but there was nothing, nothing really like that. Where uh, I'm just gonna come out and say this: I always found the world of labyrinth kind of terrifying. I can't believe that movie was made and marketed to children. Well, like, Jim Henson was kind of a weirdo at times. <laughs> that and the Dark Crystal are just—it's like <laughs> so terrifying. Why would you? Why would you expose your children to these movies? Uh, yeah, honestly, the Dark Crystal's scarier, in my opinion. It is, and I feel like that one was even more targeted to kids. <laughs> like every scene with the Skeksis in it just ugh, makes your skin crawl. Mm. And even as an adult man who yeah. watches horror, who puts horror movies on in the background to relax, mm. it's like, yeah. check it's please, settling, check please. But uh, yeah, we just. Didn't really have anything, and then after after September 11th, we had this, and it was just like, uh, it took us kind of mentally back to a simpler time when... Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that, just how, man, not only did Peter Jackson accomplish a feat in that for years, this movie was in what is called development hell, that for years and years, people were trying to develop this. You know, and like we had, like I'd mentioned, Ralph Bakshi, uh, a very famous animator of the what do you what do you say, Dakota? Sixties and seventies for the most part is when he's probably in his prime. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, he famously did a theatrical animated release, but it's only the first. It's Fellowship of the Ring, and then some of Two Towers, and then he never got a chance to finish it, and it was kind of a mess. And he he's he's very much an artist where I think people just had trouble even following what he was trying to do at times. And he used a lot of different techniques, which is cool and confusing at the same time, like rotoscoping. And, and, and then there was the famous um, version that was kind of maybe going to happen where the Beatles were going to be in it and be <laughs> the main characters. <sighs> you just hear a lot of stories about just over the years. And then, uh, you know, I think if they had had their chance to make it, it probably would have looked a lot more like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, which isn't a good thing for (laughs) Lord of the Rings, no matter how you feel about Holy Grail. And it's interesting because, I mean, they could have just very easily like, oh, uh, uh, make some old timey looking clothes and like pay, pay to have like some really cheap armor brought in. But, man, I, I still can't believe New Line let him do all this stuff. It, well, and that's and that's the thing what I was getting to is just like, okay, Peter Jackson, I mean, before this, he I mean, he was a filmmaker. He had made movies. He had made some even, you know, successful, critically acclaimed movies. Um, but his critically acclaimed movies were kind of smaller, like smaller dramas. And then his independent movies were like psycho <laughs> gore fests with crazy things in them 
Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Dead Alive is such a wholesome <laughs> movie. Yeah, Dead Alive, Meet the Feebles. These are all movies that... Oh, absolutely um, under no circumstances let your children watch either one of them. No. And what was that other one? Uh, uh, one of his first ones where it has that weird creature on the cover. Um, oh, good Lord. Anyway, he I mean, he was just like all about these weird... It's, I guess it's kind of like how Sam Raimi... When it was like he was going to do Spider-Man, and I'm just like, wow, isn't the guy I would think of to do. But, yeah, the crazy thing is like, okay, so then Peter Jackson comes in, and he didn't think they would go for three movies and pitched it as two, I think. And then I don't know if it's Toby Emmerich or whoever was was probably him because I think he was in charge of New Line at the time, uh, just kind of went, well, wasn't this three books? Why don't you just do three movies? And Peter Jackson was like, okay. (laughs) Because the whole thing was they were going to film it all at the same time too. Was kind of the other way they were pitching it. Like, well, we just kind of, kind of get it all done. And then, you know, release them, you know, you know, a time apart from each other, obviously, if we could have marketing and some breather room in between to, for audiences and things like that. And so I just, I think it was like, it was just shocking. I think how everything came together was just like, it was just kind of this, one of those lightning in a bottle moments where you had the guy who was a fan since he was a kid who had the right vision to make this work. And you had this, you had New Line Cinemas of all people willing to just risk a lot of upfront money, I would assume. For yeah. a pretty big gamble. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of what New Line really did outside of horror movies before this. I mean, my favorite New Line movie before this was Dumb and Dumber. Because <laughs> uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind is they made all those terrible uh, Jason Voorhees movies. They were responsible for uh, Jason Goes to Hell. They were responsible for Jason X. And then... Uh, the piece, uh, the piece. They what are resist- you saying? The piece they resist on Freddy versus Jason, which really has not aged well at all. Sure, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, they would have just kind of had all those under their belt. Uh, I'm not sure if they made any money, but it's just, yeah, it's it's unusual that this because that's, um, don't they own, didn't they own Dimension, which is basically I think what was kind of behind the scream movies. Yeah, which did time. Scream and Robert Rodriguez's movies yeah. and things like that. So it was just like the scope of this film just seems so in hindsight like out of their grasp. Like how how did they even manage all this? It's and it's crazy too because I was just double checking because I was making sure I had the year right. I mean, okay, so the first movie came out in two thousand one. Peter Jackson began to storyboard the whole series in August of 1997. And then he started working with uh, Richard Tyler, which if you ever watch any of the special features, you got to say it like how he says his own name. And he created what a workshop to start creating what they wanted Middle Earth to look like. You know, obviously, like, uh, what do we, you know, what is this culture's weapons going to look like? What is this culture's weapons going to look like what's this culture's costume is going to look like you know all that stuff and and hair and ears i mean just think of all of this is this is a huge undertaking that's the thing it's like this is like even a bigger gamble than fox was taking on star wars really because fox took a huge gamble on star wars too where it was like what the heck is this and he was making all these weird robot-y things but this was like three movies in an even higher inflation time and i mean even more creatures (laughs) and things like that and so it's just kind of crazy to think about um yeah and so i mean all this stuff you think about that they started four years before the first movie was even going to come out and then i think cow i was going to look and see because i think when they started filming was like what in 99 or something dakota um because they filmed for a year and a half with like a with like a few breaks i know i remember hearing that at one point 
where it was like all the filming was done over the course of a year and a half with like a few holiday breaks. Yeah. Which is a big commitment. Like Elijah Wood and Sean Astin, all these main characters, they were buying houses in New Zealand because it's going to basically be, it's like you're going off to college. Pretty much, yeah. You know? Um, And so, I mean, all of this. And then the other crazy thing I always think with this is that they had a completely different Aragorn right up until, what, just like weeks before they started uh, actual filming? And it was like Stuart Townsend was (laughs) Aragorn, like right up until just weeks before. And I don't remember if he pulled out. I think he kind of pulled out. And they're like, we don't have our hero. Like, yeah, the Hobbit's the hero, but like Aragorn is like the other main hero and we need a hero. And so like Viggo Mortensen was like a last minute pickup. And so that that's even amazing because then it's like he's like one of the definitive like when you think of Aragorn, I mean it's like it's not like you conjure up some imaginary face in your head. It's like you think of Viggo Mortensen's Aragorn in your head. And uh he just nailed it. Like he he did he learned all the sword fighting so quickly. There's just so many things to this where it was like the way it came together is just amazing and how it all worked out. Yeah, it's a good thing they had so they got somebody who um who was kind of athletic to begin with and knew how knew how to ride a horse. Yeah. Um uh, but they really lucked out because if they had picked the wrong person. I sometimes I think about how the, they had Stuart Townsend. I don't like him in really anything else. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what he's what what is his film like? What's he known for? He's probably most Queen of the Damned. Besides that, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he was Dorian Gray, Wait. but nobody knows that movie except for like me and three other people. Um, I'm aware of it, but I I like. You're, to well, pretend. you're one of the other three. <laughs> I like to pretend it doesn't exist. And uh, man, I don't know those. I mean, that was kind of probably. His big thing, but when you think about it, when he was hired onto this, it might even been before he did Queen. Yeah, and so it's kind of crazy. Um, but man, you know, and that's the thing. Like when you when we just look at the casting, otherwise, um, it's it's hard to think of anyone who feels miscast. Maybe that like uh, a couple of the elves who look weird with blonde hair because you can tell they're actually brunettes, you know, obviously in real life. But, I mean, as far as, like, your main fellowship, you know, obviously, and some of those, like, like Hugo Weaving as... Uh, Elrond. El- thank you. I almost said Isengard, which is a location. <laughs> um, it's just, like, Ian McKellen just nails it. In fact... He was nominated for best supporting actor for this movie, um, which is which is funny because I think it's the only acting nomination. The Lord of the Rings obviously got a lot of Oscar nominations, over the year and then famously won all of them for the third one. Um, but that was the only acting one there ever was. Was that one? He didn't win, but he was nominated. Kind of like uh, when. Johnny Depp played Jack Sparrow the first time. You know, he so embodied the role. He was nominated for that first movie. And I feel like it's kind of what happened here. It's just like, he was just so good. Christopher Lee? I mean, isn't it crazy to go to Christopher Lee? Isn't it crazy to think that in this advanced age, he was in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, (laughs) just like right after each other like that? Yeah, just he, nailing two villains in like his eighties. Yeah, I think it, it was that voice of his man that really made him kind of sinister. Oh yeah, uh, and I try to think back. It's your like, love of the halfling's <laughs> leaf has clouded your mind, and it's <laughs> it's like I try to think like, man, they lucked out getting him because who else would they got? Like Michael Caine, Patrick Stewart, John Connery. You know, I know he was approached, but I think he was approached for Gandalf. The older Scottish guy from Braveheart, the one that (laughs) dies. Brian Cox, was he old enough? (laughs) I think he might have been too young. Or, I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Was he old enough? But, yeah, that's what I mean. He's probably too young. Um, Yeah, and so it's just like, yeah, Michael Caine would have been distracting. It was just like, 
Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee as these two main wizards. Um, it was just like, you're not like, oh, I'm watching Christopher Lee or I'm watching Ian McKellen. You're, you know, you're watching Saruman and you're watching Gandalf. And I feel the same way with Elijah Wood. Because, I mean, at this point, Elijah Wood and Sean Astin, I mean, we were watching them grow up. I mean, Sean Astin was Goonies. You know, he was Rudy. He was in Memphis Belle. Like, all these movies that you he was really iconic in. And Elijah Wood's the same way. Like, I loved his Huckleberry Finn that he made with Disney. And then he did Radio Flyer. And then uh, The Faculty, I guess, would have come out. And that was kind of a cult. You know, had a pretty big cult following. But in this, he's Frodo. You know, it's yeah. just... It's just so everybody just did such a good job just being in those roles that there was not a really distracting um, actor or actress in these. Because um, uh, Kate Blanchett, I loved her as Gladriel. And uh, this movie was when I got a huge crush on Liv Tyler <laughs> as Arwen. And so. I was in high school at the time. It's totally normal. You crush on pretty much any pretty girl that's in anything. So <laughs> in high school, pretty much. Right, Dakota? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> oh, God. Just acting like he's never crushed. Uh, not on anyone in this movie except for Aragorn, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. I was a Gimli. I was a Gimli guy. I was like, yeah. man, that, that thick authoritarian beard. Yeah. What a man. And and there is another thing. The way they were able to do the force perspective for the heights of everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you got Gimli, who has to be the only person, people shorter than him is Hobbits, and it's played by a guy who's, what, 6'2", 6'1"? Yeah, he's a big man. And it's like, he just seems short, this whole movie. You don't think of him as like, oh, they're forcing a 6'1 guy. It's not like he's wobbling around on his knees or something. <laughs> It still cracks me up. One of the funniest bits in this movie is actually it was an accident that they just kept him in the film. And it's Gandalf walking around Bag End. And he just, it was apparently his first time on set. And he was just kind of like looking around. And he just walked into that ceiling beam. Oh, yeah. And it's like. That was an accident? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I love that scene. Because uh, my wife can attest to this. But it's quite often that I find excuses to say, just tea, thank you. Oh, I was jealous of these hobbits. They seem to have a voracious appetite, but they they still look all slim. Hobbits are basically, if you look at what a hobbit is and a lot of their characteristics of how they live, it's like an introvert's dream. (laughs) They're just in their homes, nice and cuddly, smoking on their pipes, reading a book, and eating some really good meats and cheeses with some some good fresh produce. (laughs) I, I do find it, I don't know, uh, it's brought up in The Hobbit, but not really in any of these books. But Hobbits apparently are really good at sneaking around regular-sized people. Yeah, they, they're they they're kind of easy to go unnoticed. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Just, it's crazy because it's like, so that means through their own through their own trickery, they were in a way more powerful than the, the, the Margul writers. Well, and, and it's kind of, it is kind of interesting because when... They do go out into the rest of Middle-earth. It seems like three-quarters of Middle-earth doesn't even know what a hobbit is. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how much they've isolated themselves and are unnoticed. Yeah, I think the only ones that really know what a halfling is seem to be the orcs and the Urukai. Because they're like, oh, the halfling, and they just know, but everyone else... Yeah, like, and do they just know because Saruman told them to know? <laughs> like, who knows? Yeah, uh, I feel like there was so much... Well. Obviously, there was because the movie we saw in theaters wasn't Peter Jackson's like whole movie. Yeah, we got the extended cut uh, about a year at- later after this movie came out. I think. Yeah, probably roughly he released that extended cut. Well, because it was in theaters, and then they released it. And oh, this is an interesting story too. I can tell this, tell you this for sure, that. The Fellowship of the Ring didn't come out on DVD or VHS at the time. Those were the two main things. Until eight months later. They didn't have it come out on video until August of the next year. 
And I, I know mean, part of that was to prepare for Two Towers, but this is why I went to it three times in theaters because I knew this was back when you had to wait six to eight months for a movie to come out on video. Well, okay, I'm really going to date myself here, but uh, I waited almost a whole year to get that terrible Batman movie we don't speak of. On VHS, I was like, man, what's this thing coming out? And then a year later, I was like, oh, I forgot about you, but I got you now. Yeah, it was like uh, when you'd get something from a ser- – like when you'd mail in from a cereal box. <laughs> or like one time I saved – like you could send in with the UPCs of a Red Baron pizza boxes with like $2 for shipping, and you'd get the Red Baron biplane. And I remember sending that in, and it was like – it didn't come for like eight weeks. <laughs> and like by the time it came, I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like almost forgot you ordered it because it would take so long. Yeah, we just we just were patient back then. There wasn't instant gratification. But um, yeah, so I don't remember. You know, it, I just remember that they didn't come out till that next August. And I don't know if the extended cuts, did they wait till the whole trilogy was out to release those? Um, I feel like they waited maybe a little bit after the next movie came out. And maybe. then. Maybe it was almost leading up to it. I'll have to look into it, but yeah. it was sometime after. I'm gonna I I'm gonna probably make some fans mad by saying this. I've only seen the Fellowship of the Ring extended edition. I haven't watched the other ones because I don't have them and I know it's shameful that I don't. So so as far as you're concerned, you don't know how Saruman dies? Well, I do. I do know how we how Peter Jackson hasn't died, and yeah, I know that it's in the extended. But um, yeah, and so it, it would be weird to watch those now because it would be like a whole other movie to me because those extended editions add like oh god, forty five minutes. Yeah, probably the, re- the Return of the King one adds forty five minutes. Yeah, and I feel I feel like because because the first two in their theatrical releases were probably right around that three hour mark. And they each got pretty much, they each pretty much were at least four hours when the extended editions came out. And so, yeah, it added a good chunk of time to each of them. And a lot of people argue that return to the King is already a really long movie with a lot of endings, but yeah, there was a lot to wrap up. You know, I, I, I'm kind of an apologist for that a little bit, but Man, yeah, it's just like, I, in a lot of ways, this is my favorite of the three. Really? I think even though there are things that you can tell that they kind of tightened up in the other two, like this one had a lot of slow-mo, like when they showed the Urukai running and they would kind of do this weird, like kind of glitchy slow-mo thing. Well, I noticed kind of way after the fact that also when Boromir is getting shot, you're not actually seeing Sean Bean getting shot. It's like he does like the the reaction shot, and then they do the the reveal shot of where you see the arrow in him. Mm. Whereas way later they would have had, you know, they would have actually just had Sean Bean getting shot yeah. with there. Well, that might have been a that just might have been a choice for emotional impact because you're clo- closer in on Boromir's face for that moment of just like the oh, you know. Because I mean that was pretty devastating. That really got to me. To go to here's the thing. Let's talk about what moments in this movie did you cry at? You know you did. Uh, I did not cry at any oh, point. Do you, you have a heart though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tanks empty, bro. When I open those tear ducts, it's just <laughs> it's bone dry. Like I uh I, I get emotional still every time with Boromir just cause I really feel like he, he's like, he's like the epitome of he just want, he wants to do, you know, he wants to do the right thing and he wants to be honorable. It's just like, um, and there is a certain redemption to him, but at the same time, it's just like, it's just this devastating death, you know, for where it's like what tore him down was still just like his, his temptation and 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 attraction to the power of the ring, you know, just just weakened this warrior, you know, and so it is just kind of a devastating moment when that happens, and and even just that kind of like moment him and Aragorn. That's, but I would say the moment that got me the worst, where it's like my tear ducts were not dry, <laughs> were 
when Frodo is just like, I'm just going to go by myself and get away. From, you know, I just need to get away from these guys. And it's too much of a risk for them. I'm just going to get out and go. And Sam won't let him and is just willing to basically drown to not leave Frodo going by himself because he made a promise that he would not leave Frodo's side. And he was just willing to just like, I'm either going with you or I'm dying right now. You know, and it's in your hands, Frodo. And, you know, I just think like just the power in that in that moment. And again, I think you just see some great acting from Sean Astin proving that he's not just some cheesy movie Goonies Rudy guy, you know, but some real powerful acting in those moments. But yeah, I mean, I just think, I think in some ways this is the most, even though it ends on obviously they're not, the adventure's not over in a lot of ways this is of the most contained of the three because I feel like it really does have a definitive beginning and end. Whereas the other two, obviously it feels like they start with like previously on lost, you know, or whatever, like, you know, it's like, it feels like you're kind of like picking up in the story. And then of course, two towers being the middle movie does have a huge kind of cliffhanger of an ending. Um, that this one just kind of feels like the, a full movie and I just kind of like the beginnings of it and things like that. And Gandalf is great in this, you know, played by Ian McKellen. And so I don't know. I think in a lot of ways it is my favorite of the three. Which is there one that, which one do you think is maybe your favorite of the three or is it hard to pick? Oh, well, it's certainly not two towers. I feel like that. I don't know. That one feels in a way just, the with the whole Frodo and Sam part just a little too drug out. Oh, okay, but uh, even though they're with know, Gollum the whole time, but. <laughs> yeah. But the whole, uh, you know, that's that's the part where deviates a lot from the book is where Faramir's like, "All right, we got the ring. We're gonna take it back to Gondor. Yeah, and turn they, this around." They kind of make some different character choices with Faramir, and then it's still. The problem with that is it's where he decides to let him go, and he's like, he's like, I think we understand each other now. And it's like, what do you, what do you understand? Like, what has changed? Yeah, <laughs> like you, you just saw Frodo freeze up in front of a, you know, in front of this beast with the Black Rider on it. Like, what, what did you learn? I don't know. Tell it's, us. I feel like, like, yeah, maybe like just kind of woke up in that moment yeah. or something. I don't know, but. I know I, I, I was, a, that is a little kind of a disappointment in that movie. That one I feel like relies a lot on action sequences, which granted it does have some great action set pieces in it. Um, and I, and I, I do, do feel like you need it for the continuation of that story. And I, and I like it a lot. Um, but yeah, so are you saying like Return of the King is maybe your favorite? Oh, I don't know. It's just... It's it's so hard. This is why when we made our list, I put all three movies. Yeah, in one number. and I think I think I did put you Fellowship, did. Fellowship of the Ring. You did. You just ripped off my idea shamelessly. I might add. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, God, I don't know. It's yeah. I do. I do love certain parts of the first one a lot, but like Return of King had some great moments. Yeah. Uh, you know. I feel like maybe it's a little too early to talk about that movie, but the one thing that always bothered me is the be- the prologue to that movie really feels like a horror movie. It's unsettling. I don't like it. Uh, Return of the King. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. I don't. The music and how they have him solely emaciating is he. There's, well, and and the thing is, I there. There's a few moments in that movie where I feel like Peter Jackson was finally just getting out his itch for having to have a bloody <laughs> horror because the way Denethor eats tomatoes is disgusting in that movie, but I feel like he had to figure out a way to have some sort of spewing blood, even though it's tomato blood. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, back to Fellowship of the Ring, it was like this movie was one of those like benchmark movies I think not just for me, but for a lot of people. But it definitely was for me. You know, this really did change up uh, what a fantasy movie meant. Because, I mean, like you said before this, we kind of had 
there was that just terrible Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh, I guess Dragonheart could have. Dragonheart maybe would have been the closest to like yeah. what this is. And it was probably the most successful of all of those. But even then, they just they just kind of found like a castle that they could use, and they didn't really put much thought into it. Just, and then they they just said like, "Oh, make up some old timey clothes that we could put on these people." It didn't feel really immersive. It just felt like kind of like Lord of the Rings, or sorry, not Lord of the Rings, Braveheart with magic in a way. Yeah, this. This movie did spawn a few swings and misses of of other movie franchises trying to be the next Lord of the Rings. Probably most famously would be Aragon. Not to be confused with Aragorn, who's in this movie, but there was a book series called Aragon, which I didn't read and I'm not overly familiar with. I know it's a dragon who can talk, but it's not Dragonheart. <laughs> and I feel like that was really trying to to position itself to be the next Lord of the Rings in it. Just, you know, uh, just the only thing I remember that from that movie is Avril Lavigne, like, did a song for the soundtrack for that movie, and it seemed to be really popular. <laughs> I am just now and, realizing how Jeremy Irons is in that, and he's also in Dungeons and Dragons, which is two <laughs> movies we brought up that both were kind of failures. But, yeah, it just... Oh. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, there's been other fantasy movies i guess i'm trying to think of like some of the other ones that have probably tried to i mean probably the only reason game of thrones became a tv show was probably because of lord of the rings yeah it probably wouldn't have existed if lord of the rings wouldn't have been so successful you know you know there is a really brace yourself by the way there is a kind of the ultimate thing that tried to ape the lord of the rings and that would be avatar uh, yeah, I would say Avatar, and then I think the reason Disney was willing to greenlight the Chronicles of Narnia movies that they, you know, they made two and then sold it off to Fox for a third one. I think those were kind of a product of they felt like maybe it's time now because everyone's got Lord of the Rings in their head. That's true. I didn't think about how Avatar kind of opened up that. Oh, maybe more people are kind of excited about these fantasy worlds now, and. Uh, yeah, and then and then he took it. Whereas Lord of the Rings was a cinematic experience, James Cameron tried to up the ante with how he made it a cinematic experience yeah. through trying to immerse you in that world. And so, yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting. And then, of course, probably the biggest um, thing that happened after this that kind of aped it would be the Hobbit trilogy, <laughs> <laughs> which unfortunately I feel like Peter Jackson like was aping himself oh. or something. It was, you know, I don't it, know if those movies were hubris or what, but they it should not have been three giant movies the way it was. You know, uh, in a way I kind of blame Guillermo del Toro. Cause he's the one that came on as like, we're making two G- movies. Guillermo. Guillermo. <laughs> you know what I said right the first time? <laughs> Guillermo del Toro. Cause it was his idea to have it two movies, and he really wanted to... I think it could have been two. Yeah. <laughs> but he really wanted to, like, do more, like, kind of dive into the fantasy of it. Have, yeah. Have, like, there be more creatures and all this other stuff. Because Peter Jackson kind of just picked up these ideas he had laying around. I was like, uh, all right, three movies. Uh, I guess I could stretch this out. Yeah, I'll just keep adding appendic- appendices <laughs> things. We'll just have giant worm monsters, and they'll just disappear and never be referenced again. Radagast is all of a sudden going to be a really important wizard now with bird poop all over him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's... then he still had to create an elf woman. <laughs> oh, well, find a way to shoehorn Sauron into the script. Yeah. Yeah. And, Although, a, and a mini council of Elrond. <laughs> and I'm just going to throw this out there. I thought physically Christopher Lee was amazing in that film because his fight scenes are just off the chain. In uh, The Hobbit? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, is that in the first one? <laughs> no, it's the third one where he's, third one? he's laying it down because he actually... Uh, I'm kidding, of course, because it wasn't him. They kind of did that thing like they did in uh, the Star Wars movies where they just took... Well, yeah, yeah, it wasn't him. But it's still great that it's like 
they did it so well, it looks like it's him. Yeah. Well, that's when, you know, let's talk about Fellowship of the Ring again. That's what I love about that scene where him and he locks him, Gandalf from getting to leave the his kind of throne room of the tower. And then they're beating on each other by not beating on each other. They're just kind of like magic shooting with their staves. And it's just these two old guys basically knocking each other over. <laughs> it just feels like there's a comedic version of that where it's like just two old guys beating on each other with their walking sticks. Like, <laughs> Um, you have chosen the way of pain. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. There, And then, I mean, we can't also not talk about The Lord of the Rings without talking about, I think nearly every frame of these movies is now a meme of some point from, all right, then, keep your secrets. <laughs> you know what always bothered me? So they have they get to that entrance to the Mines of Moira and this creature. The Mines of Moria! This creature attacks them. What the hell was that? We never get like an answer. Like, oh <laughs> yeah, that octopus thing. Yeah, but it had like a face that was. Yeah, just, I ugh. think I think it was it was just another like everything is drawn to the ring because it purposefully grabbed Frodo. Yeah, and I think it was just like another moment where it could be like just every living thing in middle earth is drawn to the power of the ring and the ring you know obviously you know just has the power to do that and so yeah i guess it just like they turned it into like a cool creature moment because you got i mean you gotta have creatures man it's middle earth yeah but it's just the way it looked was i don't know it looked honestly looked like something more out of a john carpenter movie than <laughs> it were kind of the 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 beaky mouth reminded me of the squid in uh Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know. Here we're talking about Hobbiton. You know, let's talk about that a little. Hobbiton looked great. Them going through the mines looked great. Um, the orcs and goblins are disgusting. You know, just gross. Um, I can't imagine how much time it must have taken to get all these things ready because it's so much. As much CGI as you pro- there probably is, and we know there is in these, there's just as much practical and miniature work, which I think is pretty amazing. Just how much miniature work and, and practical effects they did. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's all pretty great. I think uh, one of the things that at the time was really thrilling was uh, basically Arwen just trying to get away from the Black Riders, like watching that. On an, on the big screen in yeah. the theaters, it was incredible. You were like, "Oh man, they're gonna get her!" Yeah, and it's just like you can tell it's like legit horse riding. You know, yeah. it's like this isn't like. And some of the camera angles they use. One of my favorites is where the witch king is like reaching out for Frodo, and it's it's like had this movie been made ten years later, like it would have been like they would have tried to do like some stupid like three D. It's like, yeah. <laughs> That's unfortunate to think, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. It's like uh, someday they're probably going to remake these, you know, I suppose. But it's nice to know that no matter what terrible choices could be made in the future with the remaking of these, that these ones, for the most part, are pretty good. And even with some of the artistic liberties... I think really do stick pretty well with what the themes of the book are. You know, even yeah. though Tolkien, he didn't really dwell much on the battles in his book. You could tell he was a guy battling PTSD from World War One, which yeah. he was. Um, the battles were there, but obviously they're a lot more of a focal point in the movies. But I think that's just an artistic thing you do where it's like they're different mediums. Yeah, You know, when you're reading a book, there's moments, there's times when it's like, it's easier for you to just fill in the blanks of what that means without it all being written out for you. Whereas in a movie, there's different things that are easier for you to work out on your own. And then other things that have to be more shown. And so it's just kind of like, I think it's a little bit just, you're seeing the difference between those mediums. And I don't feel like when I read these books, and watch these movies, I don't really feel that they they conflict with each other. Now, The Hobbit, we'll, we'll just avoid that because it does. But I feel like 
there's not really too much hard conflicting. Like, yeah, there's no Tom Bombadil in the movies, but he would have been absolutely annoying <laughs> if he were in the movies. You know, there's just certain things that just work better in the book that wouldn't on the screen. Yeah. You know, something I'm going to bring up, uh, and I'm going to go back to The Hobbit, uh, the movie versions. Why does nobody talk about two, the fact that two of those dwarves are basically, we see their corpses in the mind somewhere. <laughs> I feel like no one ever brings that up. Like, when I went to see the first Hobbit movie in theaters, it's like, that, that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I was like, oh, this is this is him when he was alive. <laughs> oh, this poor fool. Yeah, I, I don't know. I also am kind of like, it was weird to me how attractive some of those dwarves looked in The Hobbit, like Thorin and, and stuff. It's like dwarves were supposed to be just kind of like kind of ugly little man creature things, you know, and it's like I guess you don't want your hero to look unattractive in a movie. You know? <laughs> But I don't know. I hate to just rip on those too much. It's too easy. Um, I think we can just all appreciate and be glad that we do have the Lord of the Rings. And even though, yeah, they don't follow the book perfectly and all those types of things, that they're still um, great. And Fellowship of the Ring, in particular, what we're talking about this time, um, you just have to appreciate the feat that, that this worked. And it had to be – I just can't imagine the – thrill it must have been for you know so many of the people that worked on these movies were huge fans of the book and in fact Christopher Lee you know we're talking about him that dude was so old he knew J.R.R. Tolkien like he had met him (laughs) and that had to just be so thrilling to see it come together and then you know as a filmmaker who loved the books and screenwriters who loved the books and to be these actors who loved the books and then just to see the audience love it just as much knowing you have two more ready to come out just had to be pretty thrilling and yeah. and pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This will definitely, I feel like 100 years from now, you know, if we, we haven't nuked each other yet, people will still be watching this. Like I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I think even with the, you know, dated CGI type things, which, yeah, is that a little bit, that it's going to be kind of like, the wizard it's kind of the wizard of oz of our time that you kind of forgive it for those things that age it a little bit because it's just still such a thrilling fun adventure that is enjoyed by so many people <laughs> yeah <laughs> who are going to want to pass on to their kids in fact my oldest is 11 and none of my kids have seen these yet Ooh. and i keep thinking like is he ready is it time <laughs> you know you don't want to do it too soon because first off it's a lot of story and then it's like, you also don't want to overly give them nightmares if you know they're not ready for it yet. Because <laughs> it's a lot to take. But it's like, you know, I'm just so excited to, like, pass it on because it's, they're just, there's so many good messages and role models and lessons and fun adventure in it that, yeah, you just, you just want to, want to pass it on or whatever, but. So, yeah, but I think we've probably talked long enough, and we don't need to go back to ripping on The Hobbit again or anything. (laughs) To be fair, the book, The Hobbit, the best. I think it's a great great book, and I love that J.R. Tolkien is an awesome enough author and writer that he wrote that for his kids. And it's like, wow, how how cool would it be to be to be able to do that, write a book like that for your kids and and stuff. But um, but yeah, the Fellowship of the Ring, man, this was, like I said, just such a benchmark of a movie for movie making. But then just for like us who saw it on the screens when it came out, and it made a lot of stars. Yeah, I mean, it really put Vigo had been in things before this, but it really put him on the map to get him a lot more roles. I think it really helped Liv Tyler kind of a lot, kind of moving forward, even though she had kind of done some things. Um, but then, you know, even a couple of the Hobbits and things, they started getting more roles after this. And I would say it even helped Kate Blanchett, who wasn't really big before this either too much. And so, yeah, made them superstars overnight, as they say. Uh, definitely put Sean Beam on the map, even though, you know, he's, he was in GoldenEye, but 
this movie kind of cemented him <clears> as <throat> he was in Golden Eye <laughs> and he was in uh, Patriot Games. Oh yeah, that's right. And this movie, I think, is the one that basically is like, oh, it's a, it's Boromir, and he yeah. Every after this, every movie he had to die in. Yeah, then it became the joke of people realizing how often he died, even some movies before this, and then of course after this. So, like, if he lives, it's the movie's usually not good. Is the other thing too? I guess maybe The Martian be an exception because that's a pretty good movie, and he lives in that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because a movie just came out not too long ago called Profess- Possessor, and you think he's dead in that, and then. <laughs> Plot twist, he's alive. Oh, sorry for those who want to watch The Possessor. Or Possessor. It happens like 30 minutes in. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. 40 minutes in. Okay, maybe. What did 15. I just notice he was in? I don't know. He's in a lot of things. But anyway, um, yeah, so we hope you enjoyed this kind of little trot down memory lane. At least memory lane for us. Uh, I'm assuming it's a pretty pretty easy safe assumption to make that all of you have probably seen the lord of the rings or feel like you have through osmosis because they've just kind of permeated culture in so many ways um but man if you haven't watched him in a while i would give them a rewatch they definitely hold up they're pretty easy to find because they're everywhere they're even probably on like tnt or something (laughs) or one of those channels all the time so um I know at one point they were on Hulu, so you could always check there if you have Hulu. So, uh, yeah, just just good stuff, good good fun for all. So, uh, yeah. So it, that being said, we hope you also um, check us out in other places. Uh, we are on Facebook. You like us on Facebook? You can subscribe to us on YouTube and iTunes and all of those things. Um, to keep up with us and any reviews of the show is always great too. And so we thank you for listening to this episode. This is Steven. This is Dakota. See ya. <laughs>